So what was your favourite part of the holidays? Really? You sure? Okay. And uh, Disneyland? You uh, you liked that? When we went there? It was okay. Okay. <laughs> and uh, Vietnam with the snorkeling and the helicopter ride. The no. The vast landscapes of wondrous scenery didn't do it for you. No, your favourite thing was Radio Wolfgang. Huh. Well, what's that? The app. You really like the Radio Wolfgang app? Huh. Okay. Cool. And the hotel? No, that wasn't your favourite. Still, yeah. That's. It's just. You're only five years old. You sure Radio Wolfgang was your favourite thing? And getting ice cream. Right. The Radio Wolfgang app and ice cream. Great. Good summer. This year, make it a Christmas to remember. An enchanting tale about boys and girls everywhere. Tell you what not want for Christmas, nothing. How about the world's simplest camera? What are we going to call it? We're just going to call it the It's Nice That Podcast. That's the easiest, isn't right, it? Right, let's do it. That's exactly what it says on the tin. Hello and welcome to the It's Nice That Podcast with me, Alex Beck. And me, Will Hudson. It's Nice That is a website showcasing creative work from all over the world. And in this series, we're going to pick creative things that people like and work out why they're successful. So in this episode, we'll be looking at Christmas advertising. This time of year, Christmas ads are the things that dominate conversation in the studio. Have you seen this one? Have you seen that? And I guess it's kind of, it's the UK's equivalent to the Super Bowl in that effect. It's, it's those brands, I think John Lewis in the last six, seven years, have just come more and more to the fore and people do really look forward to them. Because isn't it mad that the countdown has already started? It's November the, whatever it is, fifth or sixth, with being asked, I got asked today by whether I know when it's out. Like, how is that news? But also, it's, it's the same thing. It's like, why is it the John Lewis one? The amount of media kind of news articles, anticipating them, thinking about what they're going to be, it's, like you say, it is this countdown. And like Christmas... They'll come out, everyone will watch them, and then you just move on. You just get on with the rest of your life. And I, want, I actually wanted to ask out whether or not you're a Christmas person. Hang on, I'm not the guest, mate. <laughs> no, I know, but I think it's the one time of year that we probably don't see each other. I think for the 10 years we've worked together, it's the two-week amnesty that we go, right, see you in the new year. Very good question. I am a Christmas person, mate. I love it, especially the time off. I like it because everyone goes off and no one's around. It's not like you have to catch up when you get back because everyone's catching up. That's my big Christmas plus but my family's seriously boring, so it's not like we have some amazing Christmas lunch that everyone gets really drunk. We were just very dull, yeah. So it's nothing Christmassy other than I'm not at work. Yeah, basically, how about you, Christmas person? Now you've got kids? Definitely more so as a result of having kids because it's like Christmas for them. I think recently I have, I have started to get into it more. I've started like start of November and I've allowed myself to get excited about Christmas. That Home Alone song and the idea of having that soundtrack on. I'm up for embracing Christmas this year. You're a child, basically. <laughs> yes. Um, Are you more of a giver or a receiver at Christmas, Alex? As you well know, we're always a giver. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I gave you a Christmas present for the first time last year. 
just going to remind you of that fact. What did you give me? It's a book. The book was about business. It was a business book. I, think I found a book and was like, I oh, just. It, yeah. It's such an old romantic way. <laughs> we should state for people that don't know, we're in no way romantically linked. Do you ever think, oh, great, the Christmas advert's coming up? I definitely have that thing that when they're out, someone will be like, have you seen John Lewis? And everyone will stop whatever they're doing in order to watch that thing. And I think the good, the bad, there'll be the surprises that people just don't see coming. And then there'll be those kind of woeful ads that people have spent horrible amounts of money on that people just kind of laugh at and go, that's not hit the market at all. What's your fave? Fave of all time, all time top 10 Christmas ad. Number one. I want to avoid saying John Lewis because it's it's almost just the kind of the thing that you look at and know. But growing up, it was there's, there's a, there was a one that I remember um, for the yellow pages. Like now, the idea of advertising for a yellow book that you go and look for people's details in yeah, is, is ridiculous. But it reminds me of you actually. It was a little boy who is trying to kiss a taller girl, and he goes and gets the yellow pages to kiss her under the mistletoe. Why does that remind you, <laughs> me, mate? Uh, I I want to. I'm into taller like girls. <laughs> What about you? What do you remember growing up? I tell you what, almost nothing. I remembered loads when I saw them, but nothing stuck in my head as, oh, that was a great Christmas advert at all. I remember the snowman. I remember watching Wayne's World with my brother, but I don't really remember the adverts. But then I saw that Toys R Us one. Yeah. Oh, my God. I was going to sing it then. You saved me. I thought that was great because I believed it was happening. like Almost like the Mog stuff with Sainsbury's or Monty the Penguin or there's a believability for a kid that that's actually happening that I totally got with Jeffrey and his toy shop like actually that was happening all these kids were putting all these toys out so although it was very product focused it's very like this is an advert for Toys R Us I still think the same things are kind of happening but well I kind of disagree because I think those ads um, I saw a great Woolworths one from late 80s and it's so product focused like Toys R Us you get it's like go to Toys R Us buy toys happy kids the John Lewis ones, like the Man on the Moon last year, I think people tried to kind of go, oh, there's a telescope for sale. It's like, no, 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 no. That's, they're not advertising a telescope. It's this bigger kind of idea and kind of portraying something that we should all be thinking about. What, what happened to Woolworths? <laughs> at least they were trying to tell people what they were selling. I'm with you. John I'm Lewis with you. need to look at. <laughs> no one's interested in just mine and Will's opinion on Christmas advertising. So we took the time to ask the It's Nice That Office what they think. I remember me and my sister always used to get really excited about the Toys R Us ad. Um, also the Quality Street Magic Moments. That was always a good one. I don't know if you ever caught the Iron Brew advert where the snowman drops the little boy and he sings a song. He took my iron brew and let go of my hand as he flies off. It's, it's like a real sense of humour to it. It's quite cheeky. I mean, I can't quite believe that they were allowed to do it. I grew up in Australia, so Christmas ads were always like really snowy and you'd be watching that like sucking on a nice lolly and you're swimming cosy just like yeah it's not what it's like here but the one that always I remember is the Coca-Cola one definitely the Coca-Cola advert I guess that's a classic um, probably the same as everyone it's going to be the Coca-Cola advert and loads of people feel that Christmas starts when that uh, the Coca-Cola advert comes out holidays are coming Recently, I don't I guess all the big ones like John Lewis and John Lewis is the classic, right? It's all with the guy on the moon. Oh, is it bunny rabbits or something like that? Bear in a mouse? Is it a bear in a bear in a, a hair? Bear in a hair. There was the one with the penguin. The penguin one, which is kind of classic. They always have the best music. 
I think a good advert in terms of Christmas ads are those ones that like really tell a story. I think the people that are doing it really well are able to sell like a lifestyle or an experience about Christmas. And I think it's when it's so obviously selling things. That's when I kind of don't like it, even though any advert about Christmas is selling the idea of Christmas. What an intelligent group of people. <laughs> Give them a job. It's, it's funny, isn't it? When you think of how many adverts there must have been, it's, it is those handful that come up time and time again. And John Lewis have obviously totally captured everyone's anticipation of it, but the Coca-Cola thing is still the one that they all remember. I find them weirdly confusing. Well, I just think, I think so many of them are more advertising Christmas as an event than actually the brand and, and company that they're representing. It's, I love like Christmas TV ads when they're all kind of portraying this romantic idea of big festive family feasts and um, the snow and all those things that don't really ever happen on Christmas Day. But you buy into that kind of excitement of, yes, I'm going to go and have kind of overindulge in, in food and drink and be surrounded by friends and family. That's one for you, though. I quite like that idea that actually these would only be successful at Christmas because everyone's desperate to try and be happy. You know, if you're to do this at any other point in the year, actually, does your emotional side just become really cynical? At Christmas, are we less cynical? Like, oh, yeah, that guy, you know, came out of the trenches and it's now I'm going to go and buy some eggs from Sainsbury's. Like, I don't know. It feels like maybe we get away with it a lot more because... It's at Christmas and we're desperate to be happy. You, you, you're right in that if John Lewis launched their Christmas ad in August, it, oh, it, yeah, it, it wouldn't work. I'm, I'm always excited to see the ads, but I have to say I'm slightly cynical about the whole thing. It feels like it's been a little bit overblown, but I'm ready to be convinced. But personally, I just, I just, they're the thing that start the Christmas kind of countdown to Christmas as soon as those ads come out. So I'm up for embracing them. I'm up for getting in the Christmas spirit. So today it's Christmas ads, and we'll be exploring the science behind them with Patrick Fagan, consumer psychologist. And we'll also be talking to Daniel Fisher, the writer behind one of the most famous Christmas adverts ever, Monty the Penguin. Well, I bought my Christmas vegetables, peas, beans and sprouts, perfectly fresh and ready prepared by bird's eye. Stop at the bird's eye shop, at the bird's eye, stop at the bird's eye shop. So we'd like to welcome onto the show consumer psychologist, head of emotion sciences at Crowd Emotion and author of Hashtag Hooked, Why Cute Sells and Other Marketing Magic We Just Can't Resist, Patrick Fagan. Welcome, Patrick. Hello. How are you? Good. Thank Good. you for having me. Pleasure. Excited about Christmas? Uh, no, not really. <laughs> Everything to do with Christmas. Maybe the food is pretty good, yeah. But the rest of it, leave it. Can't be bothered. Tell us what you specialise in. What do you do at Crowd Emotion? So I'm a consumer psychologist. It's a bit cheesy, but I like to say I turn mind into money. So I take kind of the academic research and the science and apply it practically so brands can use it to make money. Uh, for example, I did a study for eBay looking at background noises, how they affect you when you're shopping online. So if you are shopping online, buying your Christmas presents, maybe make sure you don't listen to classical music because it makes you more likely to buy things. You see them as higher quality. That is amazing. What should we be listening to? Children screaming or crying. See, I'm tempted to take <laughs> classical music over that and, yeah. and just spend a bit more money. <laughs> or maybe roadworks might be a bit less extreme, but something that puts you in a bit of a grouchy mood. Where do brands really adopt it in the right way and go, right, here's the research and then this is how it plays out? A variety of ways, really, but it's quite hard to do good pre-testing because you can't really 
test how good something's going to be until it's done. So it's kind of a cycle where brands will do ads and then test it and then take those learnings going forward. So it's kind of mixed together. I've got a question here. When did we start thinking about all of this? How long has crowd emotion been going? Like when was this in the consciousness of advertisers? In a very simple form, probably, you know, around the Mad Men era, kind of 50s, when it moved away from just rational information and more towards branding and influencing people subconsciously. But certainly in the last maybe five or 10 years, there's been a big move towards understanding emotion and the importance of it and how to measure it and how to put it into ads. And that actually the best adverts are the ones with emotions, whereas people used to think, you know, maybe for selling insurance, you should be rational. But actually, no, just whatever you're selling, be emotional. So compare the meerkat is a good example of that. That makes me seriously emotional, that one. I'm so bored of it. (laughs) Before we crack on to Christmas, can I just ask you, what's your book about? Um, So it's about how to make messages that work, essentially. So messages that get noticed and get people to remember the message and also to act upon it. Do you ever get tempted to just go and make those messages yourself, just become the agency? Yeah, I do try and do that. I mean, I, I... try and put sort of cute animals on any documents I make. (laughs) So you obviously know the first Christmas ad, the Coca-Cola, very famous, the holidays are coming. Why was that a success? Um, I think there's uh, a number of reasons. One of them is just repetition because it's repeated every year, which makes people remember it. Uh, It's quite base, but we remember things that are repeated. But also there's kind of a Pavlov's dog effect in the well-known experiment where dogs would be presented with food and their bell would be rung. And they found that eventually they could just ring the bell and that would make dogs salivate. So in the same way, when people see this brand over and over again at Christmas, they associate it with Christmas, which is great for Coke because red is their distinctive asset, their branding color. Christmas is associated with being social, being with friends and family. People are happy at Christmas, most people. And also Christmas is cold, which is great for Coke because they want people to think of Coke as being a cold, refreshing drink. So those are the the main ways, I think. We're talking about John Lewis a lot today and how they really seem to get into the emotional psyche of the person watching it. Why have they become so popular? Um, I think there's a few very core things that they do in each ad every Christmas, but I think they kind of dropped the ball a little bit maybe last year. But they have this ad which has a very clear story. So, for example, the penguin who's sad, so he gets a friend or, or partner in the end. It's a very clear sort of setting up a problem and resolving it by the end. They also have sort of strong distinctive assets or something that's a very noticeable and memorable and unique branding element, uh, like the penguins or the cartoon bear and the hair. You compared two Christmas adverts and compared the emotional responses to them, right? So the yeah. first one was the John Lewis man on the moon, story of a young girl called Lily looking at the moon through a family telescope, what's him going about his chores, and then also the Sainsbury's Mog, the cat based on the tales of a disaster-prone cat Mog, destroys Christmas, but actually in the meantime phoned the fire brigade and everything was all right. They're the two ones, if, if our listeners haven't seen them before. Um, tell us about the experiment. What, what happened? What did you do? It was a pool of, I think, about half a dozen Christmas ads from that year. But those are the two sort of well, we focused on using the pool as kind of a benchmark of the average for that year. So at Crowd Emotion, where I work, we test ads and other videos on emotions by measuring people's facial expressions. So are they smiling at this point? Do they look kind of confused at this point? And then basically comparing the ads on these metrics and also seeing how certain elements of the adverts um, are related to these emotions. So we asked people, for example, does this advert have a story? So we could see that if ads with stories produce more emotions, which we found they did. Which one was more successful then? Mog the cat was was more successful on an emotional basis. So as you can probably imagine, Man on the Moon produced more sadness, which might not be a good thing because it's kind of depressing, although it 
it can be good for memory sometimes. It's a bit complicated. But Mog the Cat produced an outstanding amount more of what we call puzzlement, which is kind of the confused or cognitively engaged facial expression. Which... Puzzlement. Will feels puzzlement every day. That means trying to fill the gaps, right, in your exactly. knowledge. In, yeah, I'm curious. I'm, I'm interested. I'm, I have a thirst for knowledge. And yeah, that backfired, didn't it? <laughs> I'm interested in a lot of the Christmas adverts have adopted an animal. So Mog the Cat, obviously a cat. A lot of the John Lewis ads have used various animals along the way. What's the research there to suggest why animals are kind of um, useful in the, the narrative? Well, I actually put a, a puppy on my book as well. So I hope it works. There's research showing that if you show people some puppies and get them to play the board game operation where you pick out small pieces from small holes with tweezers and try not to touch the sides. If you get them to play the game, then look at puppies and play it again afterwards, they'll actually pay more attention and do better the second time around. And the theory is that seeing cute things makes us more careful and pay more attention because there's an evolutionary drive to be very careful and look after babies. Because if we didn't, then they might have been eaten by uh, dingoes or something. So if we see something cute, we'll just instantly pay attention to it. So it's about having a story, having something cute, having a positive feel-good emotion, and having a distinctive asset they can use. Things which I don't think they did so well with, but which Sainsbury's actually did quite well with last year with the Mog the Cat advert. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what they do this year. So, so where for you does the kind of where science meets creativity, where do you think there's the best overlap? Because surely a big part of creativity is trying to do the surprising kind of more kind of gut feeling led idea. Where do you think they can complement each other perfectly? I think science and creativity are not necessarily distinct things. I mean, there are computer algorithms that can create the perfect catchy song these days. You know, I think there's probably a science to creativity. But it's interesting, we did a, actually a project for the BBC where we tested different sort of BBC Earth clips of, of nature documentaries using facial coding uh, and found the most emotional parts and made a trailer out of those. Uh, meanwhile, um, a director... On, on his or her own made uh, trailer themselves. Um, but then thirdly, we came to the director and we said, these are the most emotional parts, now make a new trailer. And we found that the sort of algorithm scored worst when we tested the trailer. The director's one uh, scored a bit better, but the mixture of both was actually by far the best. So are we going to be replaced by robots? Probably, eventually, yeah. Oh, don't uh, say that. It's Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> what is the future of advertising in one line? It's tricky. I guess I would say advertising that bypasses the brain's gatekeeper. Uh, so if I expand on that a little bit. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> no, I know exactly that. what you mean. So, so we can only pay attention to a tiny slice of everything that's in the world because we just don't have the brain power to pay attention to absolutely everything. Um, so there's a lot of research that shows, you know, if people walk through a park, only about 50% will notice a unicycling clown. Uh, because we just don't have the brain power to pay attention to absolutely everything. But there's believed to be like a bouncer or a gatekeeper in the brain that says, okay, you need to pay attention to this, it's important. For example, it might be your own name. If you hear your own name, you'll pay attention to it, which I think is partly why Coke did so well when they put names on, on the bottles and cans. So yeah, so emotion or personalization or surprise, all these things are things that the gatekeeper will make you immediately pay attention to. So I think the future of advertising is using things like personalized ads or super emotional ads um, to get straight in there. Amazing. Well, thank you very much for coming in. If people want to find more out about what you do, where should they go? What should they go and look for? They could go to my website, which is brainchimp.co.uk. Chimp, I see you've taken your own advice there. Yeah, exactly. Is it a baby chimp? Uh, it has big, cute eyes. Yeah. Sold. Thank you so much, Patrick. <laughs> thank you. So, what did you make of Patrick? 
Oh, what an amazing thing. What just, you know, when you uncover something, you have absolutely no idea existed and then you feel almost like, oh, I mean, they're all against us. They all know what we're doing. I find it a bit scary, actually. It's like cheating. It's like having a few answers before you take the test. It's like actually maybe a bit of science is actually if you invest in that research and know, then you can kind of get a few steps ahead. It's fascinating. I think that it can't make the decisions for you, but to have data around the effect of the creativity you're doing, brilliant. That can only help, right? But if this thing makes people happy, so you only just use cute animals, I think that's a big problem. If you understand that cute animals do that, I think you can include that in your creative process. But I think at its worst, that kind of stuff can just, we can see copycat stuff the whole time. Yeah, well, eventually, presumably they'll run out of animals, won't they? I mean, cats is the obvious one. Mog the cat obviously has a bit of kind of history with the with the kids' book, but with cats kind of inundating the internet, it's funny that you don't get that collision where two brands have kind of gone right. It's it is Penguin this year, and suddenly you're like, oh shit! Well, we're we're the same animal. What do you do? Do you pull the ad or do you just run it? I've got a serious question. We always used to watch Coca-Cola advert on TV, right? And TV is where we saw all these Christmas adverts. I probably remember seeing most of the Christmas adverts on the internet on YouTube or something else, or someone shared them. Do you think that changes the, I don't know, the feel of a Christmas ad? Or do you think they're more impactful if you just happen upon it between the X Factor and the Queen's Speech? I don't know. I think sometimes we we overplay the kind of number of tweets or number of YouTube views. And I think the, the viewership of that kind of X Factor final that actually beams into however many millions of households with that 30-second, 60-second TV ad that gives people massive time and attention on a big screen where that's what they watch, that's what they talk about. I still think you go to YouTube because it's almost that kind of fear of missing out. It's like you don't want to be the person that hasn't seen the John Lewis ad yet. So you go and watch it, you go and kind of look at it on a tiny screen. And I think screens have obviously got better. Watching something on your phone now is quite an enjoyable experience. Do you think the the boss at John Lewis is happier if he gets millions of people in front of his TV or millions of people on YouTube? Millions of pounds spent in store, surely. It doesn't matter where people are watching it as long as people are watching it people are talking about it it becomes part of the kind of christmas vernacular here's one for you then would he be just as happy with no john lewis tv christmas ad or any christmas ad and the same amount of money was spent in store do you think he'd be happier saving that six million quid or do you think actually it builds the brand and it builds chat about john lewis i think the, the 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 spending the millions of pounds has to has to come back to being spent on that brand within a certain time frame. Otherwise, they wouldn't do it. It's it's the same as the people get outraged about the amount that Premiership footballers get paid. By and large, that is a sustainable business because of where all the other money comes in to pay these people hundreds and hundreds of thousand pounds a week. If John Lewis had a month in December exactly as they had in August, you wouldn't go and spend the money. You wouldn't want to try and own that part of Christmas. Does it make you like John Lewis more? I think weirdly a lot of Christmas ads, for me, I see as brand builders. I haven't stepped into a John Lewis in December as a result of watching that advert, like ever. But I think it solidifies, and that's what I think is quite interesting with a lot of the Christmas ads. I think they're very reflective of the brand that they're trying to portray, naturally. But if Aldi tried to do a John Lewis, it would be a, it would be a kind of uncomfortable fit, mm. even though they did do the weird um, parody last year where they air ballooned an elderly woman onto the moon next to a next to an old man but it's there is something about and i think the the credit that i i think john lewis get right time and time again is it's so reflective of what i think of john lewis the music the 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 filmmaking the craft the animation the everything the frustration comes in other high street stores or other food and drink brands that you watch 25 seconds of a 30 second ad and you don't know which brand is coming up 
and you then watch it tomorrow and the day after and for two weeks and still can't remember which brand it's there for. At 10.30, Val Dunigan's Christmas guests include... It's like a Christmas without any four-letter words. They're all doing it. Everywhere you go. Trust Woolworths to make your Christmas. Our next guest is well-versed in Christmas advertising. From his time at Adam and Eve DDB, he worked on the Harvey Nichols Sorry I Spent It On Myself campaign and wrote the famous John Lewis Monty the Penguin campaign of 2014. His name is Daniel Fisher and he's now Executive Creative Director at the Martin Agency London. Welcome, Daniel. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Ready? Ready for Christmas? Uh, not at all. Why not? A bit early. Yourself? No, I'm not ready either. I'm never ready for Christmas. I'm up for it this year. Are you? I'm up for early November. I'm in denial. <laughs> but you're, historically, you've always worked quite close to Christmas. So I guess it's something that you're thinking about in yeah. the summer. In January sometimes. Wow. So before we dive in, Dan, tell us what you do. How would you describe in your own words to, a, to the layman what you do? I am by trade a copywriter. I write commercials and come up with ideas for brands and organisations. I always try to do ideas that people will talk about. We live in what we call an attention economy. So I think if you're going to take someone's attention, you've got to make it worthwhile. Forget Christmas for a second. Yep. What some of your favourite ads of all time? My favourite ads of all time are the, are the ads I always look at and think I couldn't have done it. So uh, PlayStation Double Life was an ad that I saw when I first sort of entered the industry and it's it's still one of my favourite ads of all time. What What is it? You describe it for people who've never seen it. The whole premise, obviously, the, it's basically that the PlayStation allows you to live a double life. Brilliantly written by James Sinclair and Ed Morris, who were at the time one of the best teams in the industry. Just yeah, a great a great spot. Yeah, other ads, I would say Honda Gur. It was for the diesel engine that Honda brought out and it was all about changing. I mean, rather than just talk about the engine, it just, they wrote a song for it, which was, if you hate something, change it. And it was all beautifully animated and the song was great and it was all about changing things that you don't like. Um, talk to us about Christmas campaigns. Um, yeah. What was the first one that you worked on? Because you worked on a lot, right? Uh, yes. I think the first one I worked on was quite a while back uh, for McDonald's and that was before Christmas advertising was the Super Bowl that it is today. So yeah, that was probably around about 2008, 2009. And have you, have you seen Christmas advertising change? Yes, and obviously there'd always been Christmas advertising, but it suddenly became sort of like an event. I think, yeah, M&S started it. I think John Lewis very much snatched that baton. They started doing advertising through Adam and Eve around about 2009, 2010, that was very popular, and now everyone's getting on in the act. And obviously we've seen, this week already, we've seen Burberry have unleashed an extravagant, expensive-looking commercial. When you talk about Monty the Penguin, yeah. how does that process come about with john lewis and monty there was a there was an ongoing theme an ongoing sort of idea to the campaign which is thoughtful gifting if you look at all john lewis ads there's always a thoughtful gifting element to it. so the, the year before there was the hair in the bear where the hair bought the bear an alarm clock so that he could enjoy christmas the, uh, the year after there was the uh, man in the moon where the girl bought the man a telescope so he could sort of be partaking christmas so there is a, an ongoing theme of a uh, thoughtful gifting so it, it in that sense it, it's a lot not easy because it's not easy to write those ads but it it gives you something to hang on to when does the preparation for that advert begin when do you start thinking about that so the year i wrote on it with rick with rick brim we started working on it i think it was january the 17th it was literally about two weeks after christmas so the point in the year you least want to think about christmas because you're trying to lose weight you're trying to pretend that you're not skinned (laughs) blue monday is lurking and all you want to do is just kind of concentrate on not on, on just sort of forgetting Christmas and they called the entire creative department of Adam and Eve into a room it's what they do every year and said yeah so it's that time of year again so we started working on it 
as an agency in January, mid-January 2014. We eventually put Monty on the table in April, mid-April 2014, so that's what, um, three or four months, and uh, there was excitement, and everybody's working on it, and everybody wants to be the team that does it, and people are submitting script after script after script. And What happens after April when you've kind of put Monty's on the table and it's it's the route that they want to... It was a no-brainer for us. We gave Dougal Wilson a call. Um, he was the guy that had directed, I think, four or three or four pro- uh, previous John Lewis commercials. And we automatically set about actually making the Penguin, because the Penguin, obviously, the big... It was a six-month CG process. Yeah, because we actually had originally a different kind of Penguin on, on, on the script, and we decided to go with an Adelie Penguin. And we did a lot of research into well, how that Penguin moved. What we decided to do with Dougal's call was every single action that the penguin takes that monty takes would be copied from archive footage of penguins so for example the scene where monty's on a trampoline was taken from archive footage of a penguin the exact same penguin jumping off an iceberg wow and the scene where monty's got the uh, lego was taken from that quite famous youtube clip where one penguin's building a nest and the other penguin's nicking his rocks so it was exactly so everything was sort of inspired by actual real penguin footage for reasons of authenticity, so it felt like we were actually watching a real penguin. So I've got this vision of a dark editing CGI. A very dark editing Editing studio in the middle of July. Ten people. Spoiling. How do you keep in that Christmas mindset? I think actually it was more of a struggle to keep in the the Christmas mindset when we're actually coming up with it, because we were trying to think of all things Christmassy, and by April... We had quite an early summer heatwave that year, and I remember Rick and I were sitting in a pub in in Mayfair, still trying to come up with it, and it was sunny outside, people wearing flip-flops and shorts, and we were sitting in a pub, the <laughs> one pub in, in Mayfair that has a fire all year round, <laughs> trying to feel Christmassy and trying to ignore the fact that everyone else in the pub was wearing shorts, and uh, just trying to get into that mindset. So that's when it's a challenge. Can you tell us the worst idea you came up before you came up with Monty? <laughs> the worst idea? You know, the worst one. What's the one where you're like, oh, God. There was there was plenty. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not in deny. I'm not denying that. I think we had one, a couple it was just completely wrong. But we were just at the time we sort of wrote it down. We thought it might be okay, and we realised it was completely wrong. I don't think we even presented it. But um, it was a couple who give each other the same gift every year, and then one and I think it was he he she gives him socks and he gave her perfume. Then one year. He was sitting there just with the socks and there was no one in the seat opposite him. Oh. And we thought, well, that'll move people. And we actually thought, actually, no, that actually, people hate us. <laughs> Seriously. So, yeah. 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 And that was maybe a long yeah. night in the park. That, that, was, that was a long, that was one of those dark moments where we had no ideas. Well, that, that kind of get people talking. That was... And what about the seed for uh, Monty? Did you know as soon as, as soon as that was kind of initially discussed, you were like, yeah, there's something about this? Or did it take a couple of weeks to evolve? No, I think Monty was was, was one of those rare situations where we're sitting there for about three days not saying anything to each other and then it kind of popped onto a page. The only thing that really changed was I think initially Monty started off life as a monkey and I think we thought maybe there might be a cuter animal and we talked about science. It has been scientifically proven that penguins are the cutest animal on the planet and so we would change it to a penguin. Do you think penguins are happy about that? <laughs> Forget that's the stupid question there. <laughs> no, it's a good question, great question. Uh, we actually, um, we did do some support of WWF and uh, penguin donation went through the roof on the back of it. So I think penguins were quite happy. <laughs> a lot of them got adopted. That's a great answer. Yeah. I didn't think you were going to be able to answer that. So when do you end up finishing it? When is it done? The final ad was finished around about 
mid-October, I think. And and how quickly after it comes out do you know how successful it's going to be? The year Monty came out, Rick and I sat in a cafe at seven in the morning waiting for it to come out and we watched it as it unfurled on social media and we had Twitter open, had Facebook open and the reception was great. So, yeah, we knew quite early on that people liked it, so we were quite fortunate and it's, uh, obviously it took off on social media. Here's one for you, Dan, and this is maybe yeah. two down the barrel. Yeah, A lot of people listening to this would be like, oh, it's a complete waste of money. That's too much money to be spending on adverts. What a waste. Is it worth the cash? I think from a business point of view, definitely. I think they spent $7 million on Monty, and I think they got a return of for every pound they spent. They got eight back. They got a really good return. But yeah, they, yeah, it is a really important part of their, of their year. So I guess more broadly then, what do you think is changing in advertising? We're obviously seeing this huge Christmas wave. Is there any other big themes you think are happening or trends? Yeah, I, or? Think, uh, I think what we're seeing is a lot of, and it's not radically new, but I think we're seeing more of it. I think brands are realising that if they, if they hit the right note, they can get people watching that ad for free. So Monty got 30 million hits and they they were not paid for hits on sort of Facebook and YouTube before Christmas. So yeah, I think with the right kind of creative, if you hit the right note, a brand can get a lot of a lot of viewing, which they would have had to have paid for 10, 15 years ago. So I think there's a lot more, I think the savvier brands are realising that. So in the States, one of our clients is, is a Donate Life, and um, they did a commercial recently. I don't know if you've seen it. It was a, a big, epic film, and um, it was about an asshole, basically, who, who lives his life as an asshole and eventually dies but leaves his organs to people that need them and sort of redeems himself. And that got 60 million hits in two weeks, not paid for. I think on the back of it, they got a six, an almost 600% increase in people registering to be a donor. And that was without actually going on air. So, yeah, wow. I think getting the right sort of message and doing it in the right way can definitely root dividends for brands, definitely. Do you think there's a formula to getting the right creative? No, I don't think there's a formula. I think there's. I think it, a lot of it is an intuitive, instinctive thing. I think uh, that's why the job that I do as, as a creative and as a creative director is is it's quite a weird job in that sense. It's, it, it literally does come down to intuition. And it's also why it's the whole sort of why the industry can be quite hard. You're trying to say to a client, look, this is one you've got to go for. I've got no sign to back it up, but this is the idea that you should do. So there's not really a formula. I think there's an intuitive thing. Do you use any scientific data in coming up with your new ideas? Is like a basis? No, I don't. I think um, there is a sign. There's, there's definitely sort of data. That data is an increasingly big thing in the industry, but as a creative, I don't really use data. And no, I think it does come down it is quite a lonely thing you're sitting in a room with a creative partner and a blank pad and a pen and and time and yeah and you have that pressure of trying to just come up with an idea from imagination so who do you hope smashes it this year who do you who's your money on absolutely smashing it I think John Lewis will smash it again yeah I think I think they will I think I think uh yeah they always do if you had to take a guess if you had to speculate yeah what are you expecting when that John Lewis ad lands I think It'll it'll deliver thoughtful gifting again. I think I don't, I can't imagine they would they would veer from that path. I think as more and more people have come and have sort of entered the fray and are sort of trying to do Christmas advertising, a lot of brands are also trying to be a little bit like John Lewis as well. And so I, I wouldn't be surprised if they try at some point maybe maybe change it. Maybe this might not be the year, but I wouldn't be surprised if they try and wrong foot people at some point. Uh, I mean, I've, I have no idea what this year's is. Um, I'm looking forward to it. 
We'll look back on it. They would have changed it all, and and you'll be completely yeah. right. You'll, you'll, <laughs> you'll have it on let's record. Take a few, let's take a few takes of that so that we can just edit the right one in as yeah. and when it lands together. Yeah, it'll be a giraffe. It'll be a lonely giraffe. <laughs> <laughs> what about someone like Sainsbury's that I guess was kind of ranked as the the second most successful? How do you think they will react this year? They're definitely doing ambitious advertising, and it's quite interesting to see what they do. I don't think they've really found their voice in the way that John Lewis had, but they they do good ads and they, and they get people talking and they. Yeah, they're successful. Um, have you worked on any Christmas ads this year? I haven't. No, nothing no. coming out. Nothing coming out. Was that a relief? Year. It was a relief. It's quite nice to be in a, uh, a spectator. Does it does it surprise you that with the John Lewis ads, there's less of an emphasis on product and more on brand and storytelling? And I think the way in which you talk about the way in which John Lewis have found their voice, it's like does that surprise you? The way in which advertising has moved. No, I think uh, I think John Lewis obviously identified that they need that what was going to work for them was to tap into an emotion and to do storytelling, and um, that was more important than actually flogging or pushing any particular product. And I think John Lewis have got a very confident brand, but they they've got there gradually, so they're used to do that kind of advertising. And I think the public has continued falling in love with them. They've had the confidence to to do that. So I think it takes a very confident brand not to feature a product. And they're also a very successful brand, which John Lewis are. Daniel, thanks so much for coming in. If anyone wants to find anything about your work, where should they go? Yeah, martinlondon.co.uk is the website for our company. Perfect. And me- Merry Christmas. Thank you very much. Same See to you. you soon. Yeah, thank you. Once upon a Christmas in a land far away. Family gifts at affordable price. Secret Santa! So, Will, what have we learned? I think I've learned loads. I think, I think it, it adds a whole new layer of understanding as to these three four minute things that you see that you see the finished thing you see 12 months work actually come together I think the science side of it I think is absolutely fascinating I think the the way in which you can't fight those human things that are just built in the way in which you will respond to certain things differently just through the way in which we are built as people are you more excited to see the the john lewis ad this year i think i was always quite excited to see it i think what's funny is i think i will look at it now slightly differently with a little bit more understanding as to what's gone into it i'm just fascinated to see what they do i think it's great to hear dan's expectation of what it might be but also freely admitting that it could they could sidestep like actually we're just going to do something totally different that people aren't expecting what's your prediction what do you think they're going to do my prediction this year is they'll probably play it safe. They'll go with that tried and tested formula. I think that's what I'm expecting. If they decide to do something totally different, I, I'm confident we'll have mentioned it a little <laughs> bit here. Well, what do you kind of expect in the next week or so as to when it gets rolled out? I don't think it will have a man on the moon in it. Well, you heard it here first. <laughs> no man on moon. I think, again, I think we're going to see an emotional, like, really feel-good, thoughtful, gifting story. I'd be surprised if it was completely different, right? If it's working as well as Dan has given us the insight into, it'd be crazy to change it. What I really loved about meeting both Patrick and Dan is the completely different approaches. Dan's never even seen any data based on anything and can still come up with Monty the Penguin, whereas actually you can look at the data and come up with something else. With Cat. I love I love that there's so many different ways to approach coming up with a creative idea for a Christmas advert that actually, I don't know, it feels like it isn't a science or it isn't a dark magic that anyone could kind of do it. Maybe that's doing Dan an injustice. But. <laughs> so what are you going to get me? Last year you got me a book. Uh, whatever's lying around the office, mate, on the, on the last day we see each other, I don't know. So don't, don't expect anything, don't get me anything. What are you most looking forward to now for Christmas? Do you, feel, do you feel more up for Christmas now? I do, actually. I quite enjoy talking about the advert. 
I think I'm, I'm way less cynical about them. Actually, I love I love the fact that they actually really work and people love them and people enjoy them and look forward to them and they really love it when they come on TV and I think that I think I'm going to lose my cynicism of the whole thing a little bit. Good. If that's one thing to come out of this out of this podcast, Al, that is a that is a good thing. So a huge thanks to Patrick Fagan, to Daniel Fisher and to members of the It's Nice Out office for their contributions. We hope you're looking forward to seeing the adverts as much as we are and we'll see you again soon. This podcast was brought to you by It's Nice That and Radio Wolfgang. It featured me, Will Hudson, Alex Beck, Patrick Fagan and Daniel Fisher. It was executive produced by Harry Watson, assistant produced by Natalie Rodriguez, and produced by Ivor Manley. When do you think the Queen watches the John Lewis ad? Do you think she's aware of it? The John Lewis ad, I do think she watches it because it's a British institution, but I don't think she watches all of them. I don't think she sat there watching the Iron Brew On YouTube. On YouTube. No, I don't think she... Well, I don't know what she does, to be totally honest. That's a far bigger question, isn't it? (laughs) 